0: Well everybody, what's the crack and welcome back to episode number twenty-eight of the Inline 9 g Flute Podcast with me, your host, motherfucking inline G. It's good to see you guys again. I haven't left. I've just recorded episode 27. Not 30 seconds ago, I finished my coffee, I went downstairs, I poured myself a cherry cola inside my raccoon mug. I did a quick costume change, and I'm back, and I'm ready to rock. Fuck that is nice. And it's going to be a much more relaxed episode this week. You're just going to have to let me let me speak here. Normally I structure my episodes very strictly to make sure I don't run out of things to talk about but that will not be the case this week because I am talking about something so close to my heart, something that I just want to talk about. This is this is a pub episode. This is what it's like if you ever take me out for a couple of pints of Guinness on a Saturday night and say, hey Gareth, what was your favourite flute record of recent years? This is the answer you're getting. You're getting a 35 minute monologue on a superb album and a superb musician so I'm just going to roll with it this week guys basically what had happened was last year I did do that top flute albums of 2023 episode I think it was episode number 24 something around that Um, losing count these days running this game man anyway that episode came out and I had to do a little bit of research and narrow down which five albums I was going to choose for the top five but the number one they weren't ranked but there was a number one was very easy because it was an album I just fell in love with I cannot rant and rave about how good I found this album and I sort of thought, it's so good that I felt like the review I did during that episode, would it just didn't do it justice. I'm such a fan of this album that I thought it deserved an entire podcast episode on its own, which is the first time on the N9G podcast where I've reviewed one album on its own. It, that is how much I love this album. There are only two problems with the album, which I will get to later if I remember, but... I love this album so much and I just want to talk to you guys about it and tell you about it. So what is the album? Well, if you didn't hear that episode, my number one album of last year and one of my number one albums featuring the fruit of the last few years and one of my favorite of all time is an album called California Dreaming" by the one, the only and the magnificent Julien Baudimont. In the last episode, I did a whole thing about French pronunciation of people's names. I know it makes me seem like a wanker, but his name is Julien Baudimont. Okay I'm not going to call him Julian Bodimont. Fuck that, okay It's Julian Bodimont. Um, he released this album, "California Dreaming" last year, and it is such a breath of fresh air to the flute world. It is so new and vibrant, it's taken so many ideas from different types of music, but treating it so seriously, it is a masterpiece it has really went under the radar as well of how good this album is and this is exactly what I think the fruit world and the classical music world needs to be more of. I am such a fan of it. So I'm going to go through it. I'm going to go through every track and I've made some notes on it because I just did when I was listening to it one day on the train coming home from a football match and I had a few pints in me. So my, my, my notes are particularly generous because I think we won that day as well. Yeah, we did. We won like 3-1. So I was in a very good mood that day. So come and get comfortable with me, guys. Go pour yourself something and listen into this. Definitely go and listen to the album afterwards. I'm not even going to put in a track of it to listen to. I'm not going to put an excerpt because I've got stung a few times for copyright issues. But after this, go listen to the album. It is the most easy listening flute album yet, also brilliant. That did raise out there. You can genuinely stick it on in the car. You can stick it on when you're sitting at home. Go for a walk and put it in your earphones. Your earphones. Your AirPods. Your earphones. It was a bass realization of the both wherever you are go stick it on it's perfect for every occasion so let's get into california dreaming let's stop talking here this is too much bollocks california dreaming so we're going to talk about the cover first actually because i fucking love the cover it features a picture of Junia, obviously looking like he's in california by a swimming pool beautiful like 70s 80s filter on it that very soft parsley kind of look The font is fucking gorgeous, man. It reminds me a little bit of the font that I use for my logo here on the N9G podcast and all my, like, text and stuff. It's that very, like, hyper-stylized, almost Grand Theft Auto-style font, if you know what I'm talking about, in this beautiful yellow. It's gorgeous. it has got a picture of Junia. He looks great, obviously. He's French. They all look great all the fucking time. It's annoying how good-looking French people are. Um, He's got his flute. The only problem, one of two problems, one of the two only problems of this album is... He's got his feet out. You shouldn't get feet out in music. I am starting this campaign. I am going to push this much. I hate bare feet. I cannot tell you. Out of all the things in the world I don't want to see on a stage, bare feet is in the top five. Out of all the things on planet Earth, bare feet is in the top five. I fucking hate feet, man. I hate them. They're disgusting. I wish I didn't need mine. I wish I was born with socks and two stumps, but I'm not. There's feet on the album. So if you're not great with feet, Sorry contemporary music as well what is it about contemporary music that people don't wear fucking shoes man it's disgusting wear shoes see if you're a performer that thinks it's cool and makes you grounded like feel the surface of the stage and perform in bare feet just i'm letting you know you ruin the gig for like half your audience people like me i have it puts me straight off a performance i've been to gigs where no matter how well they're playing i just think the whole time they're fucking big honkers right big stinking claws out in the stage sweaty big hooves honking julian has nice feet as far as i go i'm not going to comment on that jesus christ but you know what i mean don't like feet that's one of two problems so that's not a bad problem to have but the cover, cover is gorgeous and that's why i want to talk about it if you walk past that cover you would not think that's a classical music album you would just think oh that looks like a cool album that looks like something i want to stick on in my car when i'm driving down with the sun sunroof back through the streets of la that's what it looks like it looks like a summer evening you know when the sun sets coming down you got your glasses on and you're just fucking enjoying it it looks like that kind of album I didn't do that I live in Germany and I'm from Ireland so we don't have sunroofs on our cars I don't let the sun go through my hair or the wind go through my hair because I haven't had hair since 2014 but the idea it transports me to that place anyway and the album suits that which is one of the rare times where I feel like the cover of the album is deliberately trying to portray the image of the album it's not just showing off the artist some generic stock picture of someone holding the fucking flute it's got a theme to it this album cover suits the music that's within it and the theme and the narrative of it the way every other fucking type of music does apart from classical music where the only people don't do that it's insane so the album cover is gorgeous go check it out now the album itself what is it how do i describe this i haven't bought the album okay Julian if you listen i'm sorry i haven't bought it I've streamed it but I've streamed it like fucking 300 times so you probably got a few quid out of me but I haven't bought it so I haven't got the little booklet I should have got that I know but I haven't so I don't know what Julian wants to say about this in his own words but this really feels like a pop album or a rock album as opposed to a classical music album it is a collection of there's like what 16 tracks on this there is a narrative there is a construction to it it's different composers they're all kind of within this feeling of classical music going to America, early Hollywood days, late romanticism, slightly jazz influenced, easy listening, gershwin kind of stuff. There's loads of different composers in this. Most of it, I think nearly everything on it actually, is arrangements for flute. There's no original flute works in this. They're all arrangements, but beautiful arrangements. Most of the album is flute and piano. There is a string quartet that features in it. There's sections with some percussion in it as well, but the heart of it and the two names on the album are Junia and Bruno Fontaine, uh, the piano player. But there's so much in it. That's why I, th- I don't want to try and tell you guys about the album before you listen to it. It's so unique, and you should just view it as like a. It, it genuinely feels like a Strokes album to me. It looks like a Strokes album. The structure of it feels like a Strokes album. There you are, Union That's the best. And here, the lead singer of the Strokes, Julian Casablancas. There you are. Am I the first person to compare Julian Bodey's album to the Strokes? You fucking right, I am. So let's get into it. Right, tracks. How long have I been recording? I've been talking for eight minutes already. But I haven't even got into it. Right, I'm going to go through track by track because. I cannot tell you how impressed I am with the choice of repertoire. I think that's half the battle on this album, is the choice. So the first track, La La Land. Now, I didn't expect that. It's Another Day of Sun, the track's called. It's just under four minutes long. I hated La La Land, the film, by the way. I thought it was fucking shit, man. I thought it was dog shit. I just really didn't like it. And I love your, ma- your woman, Emma, Emma Stone. I loved her in Spider-Man, but I did not like her in Alana. I thought it was shit, man. I just didn't like it. But it looked beautiful. And the music was beautiful in many ways. But this, for flute and piano, oh my God, does it work. It is gorgeous. So this gets the album off to a blistering start. I mean, straight away, you're like, fuck, here we go. We're in for a ride here. Colorful, energetic. And this is the perfect example of a genuinely magnificent flute player like one of the best flute players on planet Earth at the minute. A fucking seasoned, orchestral, great soloist using his world-class articulation, not dumbing down his articulation, not bringing down his phrasing or his tone because it's not classical music, using everything he's got to the best of his ability, treating this music as if it was Beethoven or if it was Wagner or if it was Mahler and all that phrasing and putting it into this normal music. Normal, unquote, unquote, quote, unquote. unquote. So it's one of the few chances you get to enjoy this kind of music by that level of musicianship. And by that level of flute player doesn't exist anywhere else. No one else is doing this. Great flute players do play this kind of music sometimes. But they don't treat it as seriously as Julianne has here. And that's what makes it great. So fucking listen to that. Your album's off to a flyer. Now the next track is A Place in the Sun. No, what did I write about this? Oh yeah, Angela's Theme. So it's an old Elizabeth Taylor film. I haven't actually seen it to be totally honest. But this is a very different track now it's quite short as well how long is this yeah it's five and a half minutes give or take so this has got a lot of strings in it and they're really dirty and unsettling and grindy and then they go they sort of move about a lot and go back to this like sexy soft jazz there's a lot of apogiatures, you know like that kind of like leaning into notes and then really milking them dry and fucking oh it's one of those oozy album or tracks but it can be really unsettling at times too. Unnerving, very dark. If anyone's seen the film, let me know. The Place in the Sun I know is that one where like Brits go to buy houses. The daytime reality TV show on Channel 4. Where British people buy houses in Benidorm. I don't think the theme is from that. Um, And there's a lot of alto flute in this. I think it's nearly all alto flute. So that's great as well. And again, you're going to hear someone play the alto flute fucking brilliantly. And using it as a genuine artistic choice. And not as some fucking gimmick. Or like 90% of the alto flute playing I hear these days, or 95% of it, is people that are too shit to play the flute. They play the alto flute to cover up their mistakes. So it's not alto flute played well. When you hear it in an orchestra or you hear it played beautifully, you're like, oh my God, that is a beautiful instrument. Most of the time I hear it, it's just bad technique. Sorry. Right, track number three. An American in Paris. You all know this. This is one of the highlights of the album for me. Um, It's seven minutes long. Like it's the thing. It's The American in Paris by George Gershwin. For flute and piano. Like a full orchestral piece, full of colour, rhythm, timbre, such a heavy piece arranged for flute and piano. It reminds me a little bit of how a lot of people do that arrangement of Debussy's La Primitive Dun Fun for flute and piano. I've played that once. It is fucking exhausting. It is so hard because it's so much going on and most people treat it as like oh we just play a wee melody but you can't you're taking the entire orchestra and you have to change your color all the time you have to change your style your rhythm you have to exaggerate things you wouldn't normally do to make those differences evident whereas sometimes for example in the orchestra just the fact that it's changed instrument is enough to make a new melody sound different if you're playing it all on the same instrument you have to do something extra to show us that it's not the same thing five times So you have to do extra interpretation. You have to work harder than you normally would because the instrument doesn't work. So this reminds me of that. It's so much going on and I'm so glad to hear two musicians of that caliber properly playing it, properly going for this, not just sticking it on an album and thinking, ah, that's a little fun thing to end the album with. Properly treating this as a serious piece of repertoire. And the star of this is Bruno Fontaine, the piano player. Obviously Julian plays incredibly well, but this track, it's all Bruno, man. he he's so fucking good. He is oh mummy. He's class. He's absolutely brilliant. He's got that Ah, uh, go listen to it. He's taking the, the the entire orchestra and putting it into his fingers and again treating it seriously. Um there is that solo. You know the one I'm talking about, the the clarinet solo no, the Yeah. Isn't the clarinet solo in the original? But anyway, the big bandy solo, oh man. There's a lot of solos. He does a lot of key bands in this as well. Um, it just feels like it's nearly... It's nearly made for French people. I know it's not a French composer. I know it's Gershwin. I know he's American. But it's so oozy and so nuanced and subtle. and mwah, It just feels like it's made for French people. And you don't get much more French than Julien Bonimo. And the way he plays those solos and then Oh, that. Sorry, audio listeners. You can't see what I'm doing here. But it's that. Oh, it's like full fat greek yogurt you know what i mean it's just mm, it's that that's what his sound is like so it's a small arrangement but it it feels like a full orchestral arrangement there's the energy and the dedication and the commitment of a full orchestral arrangement they're really playing this i'm actually amazed that this is so early in the album to put this as number three in the album is quite a shock i would have ended with this but it tells you the strength of the rest of the album that they can afford to put this so early into it and again that's the kind of way that indie musicians rock musicians they would do that as well they would put one of their big hitters one of their big tracks at the start one at the end as well and you have to weigh it out classical musicians we don't tend to do that so i'm glad to see that because it keeps the, the album list it's very listenable because you're getting such a big number straight away number four speedy gonzalez i love this one we used to play this in flute bands all the time it's a henry mancini track uh, speedy gonzalez if you don't know it it's super fun it's super cheesy um there's a really slow, show offy y virtuoso second section. Um, this is an arrangement for string, percussion, what else? And piano, obviously with the flute. This is now the definitive version of Speedy Gonzales. Okay, this is the one now. If you go to look it up on the internet, you go to find it anywhere, this is the definitive version. Because once again, it's mainly like pops orchestras or pops orchestra-style players that do this kind of music and they don't take it seriously a lot of the time when they're recording it for albums. They sort of throw it together as an end to it. He's really going for this again. So this has became the definitive version. If you say to someone, oh, have you never heard Speedy Gonzales, the tune by Henry Mancini, you go to Joni and Bodimont's album and you listen to that one. Um, yeah, it's one of those ones, you play it when you were 15 years old. If you're good, to show off. But you never hear it done by like world-class musicians. So this is so, so, so fucking fun. This is the, one of my favorite tracks in the album. It's so much fun. Go listen to it. Now, number five totally turning the car around here bringing this number 180 keeping us interested we have cat visage le california by mio is it Darius or denis mio fuck anyway the piece is originally for viola and piano i've never heard it in flute ever i wouldn't even consider doing this in flute i don't even know where you'd find the idea to do this on flute so bravo for that it does feel like it could be like a gershwin or a bernstein kind of piece but it's got the underlying sort of complexity of the chords that make it that very French, like we're talking French post Ravel, post Debussy, we're talking the more like du messian kind of era French, it feels like that, the complexity of the chords, they're quite dark, they're quite jazzy, they're almost a little bit uncomfortable at times, it's got that kind of thing to it. Um, Mio did write a flute piece, he wrote a son teen for flute, well, you guys have probably played it because we don't have much repertoire. He did write it, but I am so glad this is on the album instead. It's a short little interlude. interlude. it's very pretty and it shows off me use composing a little bit more. So the next track number six Lo Tom California Hans Eisler big fan of Hans Eisler's music again so happy to say this. this was a song for a song series called The Hollywooder I'm a Hollywood Leaderbook. Leader the Hollywood songbook um it is dramatic. This is a dramatic tune. Sexy, dark, rich. I have written here, Julianne Bodimont was made for this music. With a little heart. That's it. Go listen. It It is drama, heavy, fucking rich, class. Number seven. We're still sticking with Hans Eisler. Uh, We have a tune called Hollywood. So we're going from the last tune by Eisler, very dark and dramatic, to something much more light. Um, And the opening chords play on that so the opening chords of this track still play on that transition between dark and light we're moving between one to the other we're going between the darkness the lightness the major the minor that constant fluctuation uncertainty of where we are tonally i love that but not so far that it becomes like atonal or serial it's not that level it almost feels like a funeral march um and it's it's taken us on i wouldn't say the half well i suppose it's the halfway point of the album officially in terms of tracks it's a halfway point but it's taken us in a new direction on the album. And again, this is what I love about this record. Is there is a clear narrative. It's not just throwing a couple of pieces together. And hoping they work together. Or picking two pieces. There's 14 tracks on this album. And the, the narrative takes loads of twists and turns as it goes along. Which I love. I absolutely love that. So this is where we're starting. You can feel the album starting to go in a new direction here. A bit more serious now. Number eight. Uh Deheim care. Still with Mr. Eisler. This is a fucking pretty tune, man. This is pretty. This is really that's the only word I can think to describe. It's it's pretty. Buddy Mole milks it. He milks how pretty it is and light and it's colour. And we talk about colour because it's such a fluid idea about what we mean when someone says they change the colour of their instrument or change the colour of the music. But it goes to extremes. The timbre of the flute plan itself, the actual pure quality of tone, changes a lot in this track. And it is that very French, lovely, light, gentle, with that little undertone of richness to the sound. It's light, but it's got heart to it. The sound is never colourless, ever. That's just forbidden. Julianne Budiman never does anything boring, ever. If he's going to do something light, it's going to be so fucking painfully gorgeous. tonight. And he knows this is pretty. And you can hear him playing with it. And you can hear him having fun with it. And he knows not to take it too seriously. Now, then we go into the next one. Speaking of things that are not too serious. Lujon. I'm probably butchering at it Lujon? Maybe by Henry Mancini? Um, uh, so what have I written about this? Okay. First of all, you know this tune. I didn't know I knew this tune when I read the name. Someone tell me, is it Lujon or Lujon? Before I butcher another fucking thing in this podcast. Um... You will know it. It's a, it's a tune in loads of things. You've heard it in loads of different TV series and stuff. The one I know it from is The Big Lebowski. When the dude is getting drugged in the apartment, this tune plays. It's also really popular in TikTok. but well, it's not anymore. The point of recording this is not, but it was very popular in TikTok. It's got that kind of dinner music vibe. This is the composition. Not Julian's playing, but the composition has got that like very cheesy 1950s orchestral American sound. You know what I mean? like it's got that vibe come here see like that kind of you know American TV advert kind of thing TV dinners there is a very fine line with that kind of music being too much or being tasteful and it is a very fine line this sits on that line man sometimes Henry Mancini can be a bit much some of his music can be a bit shit I'm not gonna lie it's cheesy but it goes a bit far Um, this sits right on the line because it's Julian Buddy one playing, I'm gonna say it sits on the good side of the line and it remains tasteful. Anyone else playing this, it would go it would go the other way. It'd be too much. But the thing to listen to in this track is all the big runs, the big fast runs, how effortless you can just feel you can only hear the smoothness of the fingers. I know that sounds stupid, but the way he plays these runs are so light and so effortless and so they just flutter past you can feel, the image it brings in your head is this feeling of very light fingers. It's the kind of track I would listen to if I wanted to put myself in a good mental state to go and practice scales, I would listen to this first and just get that in my head, try to recreate that sound that I'm hearing. That would get me in the right mental place to go practice scales. So there you are, you can use this as an etude and you can enjoy the music. Okay, number 10, Manung by Schoenberg. Schoenberg. Uh, from the Bretta Leader Collection which translates to cabaret songs. Now, Schoenberg, we'll say Schoenberg, we'll not use the German one for now. But Schoenberg, a lot of misconceptions about Arnold Schoenberg, okay? Obviously, we know him most famously for things like Pierre Lunaire and A serialism and atonality and very crazy compositions that are a bit ooh, out there for some people. I fucking love it. But most of Schoenberg, a chunk of Schoenberg's work, was heavily romantic. He, he was one of the people that took the Romantic era pretty much to its limit, uh, there's that piece Isn't it Vercle Nacht? For Nacht. That nearly takes romanticism right to its limit. So Schoenberg was writing some very beautiful romantic tunes and this is one of them, okay? So the basic story behind this is his brother-in-law. His brother-in-law, sorry, called Alexander Zemlinsky and no, it's not that one. That's not obviously the fucking present Ukraine. That's Alexander Zelinsky. Yeah, my opinions on world of, or my knowledge on world affairs are not great sometimes. um But anyway, his brother-in-law Alexander opened up a cabaret club in Vienna, but it was modelled after the Chanois, the cabaret club in Paris. So this is in the early nineteen hundreds. So it's got that very French kind of cabaret feel. Um, and Schoenberg wrote pieces for that. So that's what these pieces are for. They're deliberately designed. That's what de leader means. It means cabaret songs. They're deliberately designed to be sung in cabaret. Again, not a flute piece. These are songs arranged for flute and piano. They suit Julian down to the ground. He's playing up to his strengths here because they're cheesy. They're very French in style. Not too cheesy though. Still romantic and subtle and oozy. And a little bit cheeky. And I love it. And it's a lovely little respite after the previous track. Where it nearly went a little bit too far. Now we're going back into just proper tasteful. Um, Now, track number 11. The Serenade by Corngold. Now, Korngold is a composer that's fascinating to me, someone I only found maybe the last five, six years to really get to know, has a very well-known violin concerto, but Eric Wolfgang Korngold, is most well-known because he was one of the early people to start writing film scores, way before like, you know, John Williams and all that, when Hollywood films were starting to become a big thing, he was one of the first composers, certainly one of the first already established composers to start writing film scores, you can hear in all of Corn Gold's music the direct link to John Williams. You can hear hints of Jurassic Park and of ET and Star Wars in Corn. Especially if you go listen to the Violin Concerto, that feels like a movie score. Um, and his music is like that's very colorful, very, very colorful. A lot of brass, a lot of, a lot of major chords, a lot of punchiness, a lot of energy. It's film music. It really sounds like that. And this, it's not as that, but it is still super dramatic, super rich, super. Film esque. There's a better word for that. Film esque. That's not the word I'm looking for. Ah, to be like a film. What's the fucking word for that? Jesus, what cherry cola is rotting my brain by? <laughs> but it's a short wee arrangement of, and a longer serenade that's written for strings. This is for flute and piano. Again, this is the kind of music that you have to work so hard on to make the colours speak because most of the colours come from the instrumentation. So to bring it to a chamber arrangement, you have to work your ass off and you have to be a fucking good musician to keep it interesting. Thankfully, we've got two of the very best here. So it's happy, it's bright, it's rich and it's very Hollywood and it's gorgeous. And it brings us up into one of the big hitters on this album. Again, so well weighted where he puts this in. Track number twelve is Rhapsody on a Theme of Paganini by Sergei Rachmaninoff. Yes, that one. Now, for anyone not familiar with this, if you don't know this, Jesus Christ, stop this podcast. Go listen to that. Rachmaninoff. It it was originally written for piano and orchestra. It almost sounds like a piano concerto. It is essentially a piano concerto, just not called that. So it's a theme, a tune. The piano plays it with orchestra accompanying, full orchestra, big romantic orchestra. And then there's a shitload of variations on that. It's quite long, there's loads of variations, but the variation that everyone knows is variation 18. That's the one, that's one we all know. It's very famous, it is heartbreakingly gorgeous. One of the great melodies of all time. And the way Rachmaninoff does it is just, oh my god. So this version for flute and piano is just the 18th variation, I have no words to describe how good this was. I'm not even going to try. Go and listen to it. If you're going to listen to one track of this album, go stick that one on. Oh my God. I melted. So away you go. Number 13. No word from Tom. Igor Stravinsky. So it comes from an opera, The Rake's Progress, which was written in English. It is an English opera. Now this is darker than pretty much anything in the album so far, more intimate, and it's very Stravinsky, it's very, very Stravinsky, I love this aria by the way, I know this opera, um, the opera is banging, it's like a fucking, it's a mad story about the guy called, what's his name, Tom Rakewell, like the devil pops up in it and all, it's fucking crazy, the whole thing's insane, but this is the very famous aria from it, so again, it's a song, it's arranged for fruit and piano, there's no original fruit works, it's a very famous aria, again, it sits, almost a recurring theme here it sits between the major and minor a lot it's that kind of era where the music it could be going light and then it turns the dark a few seconds later and it comes back and forth and you never really settle anywhere you don't know if you're meant to laugh or cry or to be upset you don't know what's going on it constantly moves around which gives it this unsettling quality but the music itself isn't unsettling it's just the fact that it doesn't know where it's going yet just when you think you're enjoying it it takes you somewhere else um what really impressed me about this track is Julian Boudimon's Vibrato. It's a masterclass on how to use vibrato. This track, especially. It goes all different wavelengths, different speeds, different depths, different colors. Go listen to that and concentrate on that if you want a bit of a flute lesson, because that's what this is. Um, there's a wee like, cadenza. It's not a cadenza, but I'll call it a cadenza at the end. You'll wear the flute solo. Oh, mm, listen to that and the richness in the bottom octave. Fuck. So tasteful. Uh, the big quote. The, the moral of the opera story is for idle hearts and minds and hands the devil finds work to do. Sexier what? Right, number 14. Ah, fuck, right? There's two problems with this album. One was the feet in the front cover. Second problem is track number 14. Now, that's not Julianne's fault. It's no one else's fault. Well, it's not my fault, but it's my fault that I don't like it. Track number 14 is an arrangement of The Star Spangled Banner. My fuck me. The American National Anthem. The last thing I want to hear. Any day of the week. But especially on an album by this guy. I just don't want it. I think it's a shite anthem. It's badly written. It's shit. It brings up so many bad images. The only time I ever listen to this anthem. Is when I'm googling or youtubing. Compilation of Americans fucking it up. Because they sing at every sporting event. The Americans always go so crazy. With like the fucking dancing around the top notes and all. It's ridiculous. Like the Fergie one. If anyone hasn't seen Fergie singing this. Oh, it was that one of the wasn't the NFL game? Fergie from Black Eyed Peace. Fuck me. So good. People have destroyed this. So that's what I know this from. I know it is being so over the top. I don't think I've ever heard a version of the Star Spangled Banner just sang straight. Just sang the way it's written. It's always overindulged, over ornamented, screaming at the top, like that musical theater like scream. So I've never liked it. And it's just fucking American shit It's where it's got the troops and the eagles and all that bollocks. So listen, when I saw Spar Spangled Banner on this album, I wasn't delighted. I will say I will never, ever, ever enjoy listening to this piece of music, no matter what. But the closest I'll ever get is this version. It's with the strings. It's got a little bit of percussion too, with the drums and all It's actually just played kind of straight and normal. It's not some kind of over the top arrangement. Um, It's played nice. So it's the first time I've actually heard the melody just played beautifully. Uh, I don't like it, I don't like the melody. I don't know why it's on the album. I I, I need to ask Julian probably and find out. But I feel like it's probably put in to help to, to appeal to the American market maybe. Do Americans need to have this in every record? I know you guys do the Pleasant and the Allegiance and all that shit. So I don't know. Maybe this is just one to get the Texans on. But I don't know. But not my cup of tea. Beautifully played obviously. Because we're talking world class musicians. The string quartet in this. I think it's the Magenta Quartet. Yeah. Incredible uh, the whole time they play. This is just pre-my-own-taste. Taste. Fuck the American National Anthem. But anyway, last track. And this is, oh man. I listened to this album. I had no idea what to expect. I saw the album cover and went, oh Julian, buddy, must going to album out. That looks kind of cool. Listen to it. Went in with fresh ears. Didn't look at the track. Didn't know what was coming. It got to the last track. And I was going, I fucking know that. And i thinking, nah, there's no way it's what I think it is. And I was listening, fuck it is. And it was great. So the last track is the title track. It's California Dreamin'. When I say California Dreaming, what do you guys think of? do you think of the song by the mamas and the papas i do that's what this is this is an arrangement of that so for those who don't know you do know the song you a hundred and fucking ten percent know the song um but the song was written by john i think it was john phillips on his own it might have been john and michelle phillips from the mamas and the papas they were like a folk rock group in america they were la kind of like hippie folky rock kind of stuff you know, big in the 1670s, that kind of vibe. It's a massive song. It's been triple platinum, the original song. What's really cool about the original as well is one of the few pop songs is written in C-sharp minor. One of my favorite fucking keys. You know, the Moonlight style is in C-sharp minor. They have the Fantasy Ampunt to de Chopin. That's in C-sharp minor. It's a stormy, dark, uncomfortable key. Normally pop songs are not written in C-sharp minor, but this one is. So it is that song. Oh, one version of it you might know is the Beach Boys covered it as well. They did a great cover this is, I cannot tell you how insane it is to end a classical album, well, classical, classical musician, there's nothing classical about it, I suppose, but to end a food album with this a flute and piano version of California Dream by the Mamas and the Papas is unbelievable. I have never said anything, like this is the kind of shit I would love to do. Like, for a time, I started putting in my own flute and piano version of Marty Bomb by the Arctic Monkeys into my recital programs because i loved it this is julian doing that but to a whole different level much better obviously much better player much better arrangement and i just love the fact that he did that i adore that it just looks like he's put together 15 of his favorite tracks in the world and went yeah they've got a theme towards them i love all these i'm gonna make my own album fuck it and it works so well i i it's a great version it's beautifully played it's got a lovely arrangement it's very well done but the thing that impresses me most is the fact that this is on a flute album because so far all the songs have some kind of like light classical connection you know they're either film scores or they're written by respected classical composers who have maybe dipped their toes in more contemporary or poppy stuff this is not that this is a pop song or a rock song this has nothing to do with classical music he's obviously got this arrangement done for him by someone because he loves the track so much it is incredible I'm so impressed they did it blew me away and this is again this is what I think the flute word needs we need more records like this if I was to recommend to someone who never listened to the flute an album especially one of my like you know someone who's a good taste in music one of my cooler friends you know who listens to good music and they want to get in classical this is definitely the album you'd recommend it looks good it sounds good it's sexy it's stylish it's got things they'll recognize on it but played well not just thrown in as a throwaway bit of fun treated seriously he plays this with as much commitment as he would anything else i think to be honest when you get to julian body level you do everything with that commitment but to record it and make an album of it and put so much effort into this album i fucking love it so that's where the album ends it is an unbelievable ending album and it is a beautiful song as well it's a very melancholic hippie kind of song i don't know how to describe it you know the song to do it this way was great and it just shows how much thought was put into the narrative and the structure and the story the album's trying to tell. Because it is quite a sentimental way to end the album, to bring that in and to do something so revolutionary. I'm sure the temptation to throw in something like Speedy Gonzales at the end for this kind of album would be more normal. That'd be a strong temptation. Most flute players would throw in something virtuosic and fast and showy or some shit like the Penny Whistle Jig or something like that. Yeah, but no, Julian does something so classy and refined... And if he's picking a pop song, he doesn't just pick any shit pop song. He's picking a great pop song by a great band and a respected musical band. 10 out of 10. That's it. So that's the album, guys. How long have we talked to you? 35 minutes? Fuck me. Been on and for one album. I was right what I was going to say about this album. Jesus, I haven't stopped. Right, guys. So this, I don't know when this episode's coming out. I think it's coming out the fucking 12th of January, probably. A pre recording. Hopefully, the next few episodes are going to have guests on. I don't know I'm still in Paris probably when you're listening to this um go and listen to this album seriously if you're going to listen to one flute album go and listen to this also to support Julien and to make sure he gets plays because this album should be more well known this should be on normal radio stations tracks from this can be played on radio I would have thought this album would have fucking exploded it hasn't really which breaks my heart because it's so good so go listen to it listen to a couple tracks off it share it on your stories go tell Junian what you think of it he's on social media i think it's, i think his instagram got hacked recently or no no it didn't that was you sorry you had her instagram got hacked no but anyway go and send him a message and tell him how much you loved that. i'm sure you'd be delighted to hear guys as always thank you for listening uh oh fuck i never even told you about the donation shit right we're not donating okay same as last week forget about the donations i know it's in the description somewhere here but fuck it don't donate this week okay i love getting your donations they're incredibly appreciated but what i want instead from you this week is to put your money away go buy yourself something nice support the podcast in a different way you don't need to use money for this if you're listening to this podcast on spotify apple music anywhere like that go and subscribe to it and give it five star rating i'm not asking you to subscribe because you want you'll get more of it it helps me it's a great way to support an independent artist is to subscribe. The more subscribers you get, the more it gets recommended to other people, the more revenue can be generated from it, the more popular it gets, blah, blah, blah. It's something you can do to support the podcast so easily. Just hit that button, five stars, subscribe. If you're on YouTube, subscribe to my channel, please like and comment. I know you're sick of hearing people saying this to you, but it really does help. The algorithm will favor you more if there's likes and comments. Comment anything. I don't give a fuck what you comment. Just comment saying hello leave it there if there's a comment it helps and like the video and finally please go and check out my social media sites okay I'm on TikTok Facebook and Instagram Facebook is Gareth Houston Flutist don't go to my personal page go to my actual band page TikTok is Gareth Houston Flute Instagram is Gareth Houston Flute go and follow me please okay these are ways you can support me as an artist so much it doesn't cost you a penny. It'll take you 10 seconds now. Get your phone out. Go follow all the social media pages. If you already do follow them or you're already subscribed, leave a comment somewhere. Like a couple of things. You know, if you're subscribed to my YouTube page and you've already done things, go and find a couple of the shorts that I put up. They get no fucking traction on YouTube. Go on go into my videos on them and just go in them. Just hit the like button. Don't even watch them. Just fucking hit the like button on a few of them. It it saves my life. So don't donate to the podcast. Put your money away go do that instead anyway guys i'm away here i've got a compact for paris i love you all so much it's great i'm loving this podcast big smooches all the best and i will talk to you soon